Welcome to Stiefel's Investment Strategy Brief, a monthly recap of the macroeconomic and market environment. Well, greetings and welcome to the Investment Strategy Brief podcast. This is Michael O'Keefe, Stiefel's Chief Investment Officer. Hey, it's March 2023, and I want to get into some recent activities really around bank failures and uh, what's unfolding as it relates to that. There's a lot of worry in the system right now. Volatility's kicked up. Markets, some elements of the markets, areas of the markets have weakened a little bit. So that's what we're going to get into in this episode. Now, I will start by saying, look, you know, when we started the year and, and talked about our outlook for the year, we alluded to the idea that the first half of 2023 could prove challenging. It really was a, thought of as a continuation of the volatility of 2022, but also with sort of the closing of the lag effect of Fed policy, uh, essentially the tightening conditions were going to have an effect, right? I'm not sure we were expecting bank failures, but the idea was, hey, we're going to sort of see some trouble and have to get through it a little bit as we make our way along. But the hope and expectation would be by about mid-year, things would settle down a little bit, we'd find balance and move from there. So as we think about the kinds of things that we've been focused on, you know, we were all focused last year and into this year on elevated inflation, the hawkish shift in Fed policy with the Fed hiking rates, as I alluded to. Uh, with that, though, and maybe the prospect of recession or earnings slowdown, the consumer has remained pretty engaged. The you know, job market has stayed strong, and so things have held up. But uh, as mentioned, we've had um, some, some challenges in, in the bank system, uh, and specifically, three banks that are no longer in business, Silicon Valley Bank, Silvergate, and Signature Bank. And the bottom line is these are three banks that grew a lot over the last few years. And think of it as uh, a, a combination of sort of tech-fueled and venture capital-fueled deposits and banking activity, as well as some of the banks uh, um, providing banking services to crypto-related businesses. Anyway, um, as, as it turns out, basically... Uh, and, you, and we'll take sort of Silicon Valley Bank as the example, they basically took those deposits and they invested in longer, slightly longer dated bonds. And so think of it as there being a duration mismatch or, or a mismatch between the investments and the deposits. And um, essentially when you invest in longer bonds and interest rates rise, which they've done over the last year or so, then uh, the prices on those bonds go down. Now, in the banking system, if the depositors don't want their money, those investments stay in place, and eventually the bonds mature at par, and everybody's okay. But they carry uh, in their financials, actually embedded in their um, in their footnotes of their financials, this idea of a held to maturity uh, position that can have an unrealized loss. Now, what happened with Silicon Valley Bank is there is actually a demand for the deposits, and uh, essentially... Um, and I think a little bit of a uh, sort of a whisper on a almost like a traditional run on the bank where rumor was that, hey, you better get your money out. And so the bank tried to, it ha had to sell those long bonds to satisfy depositors, but they had to take the loss. They actually tried to go out to the market to raise some more capital. That didn't work out. And the bottom line is the federal government had to step in and basically uh, put them in receivership. They, they set up a parallel a sort of uh, a bank for for the guarantee deposits, and then they announced anyway o over a couple weekends ago now uh, the idea that the federal government would end up supporting depositors where that was necessary 
uh, with these bank troubles uh, in, that have already occurred. And so they kind of stepped up and specifically said, we're going to make all deposits whole, whether they're guaranteed or not. They also implemented um, some other levels of support. So a new liquidity facility at the Fed to provide uh, banks with additional liquidity. And then they increased the frequency of a dollar swap arrangement that the U.S. has with other countries from weekly to daily. And so kind of basically the federal government came in and backstopped those banks and are sending signals that the banking system's strong, but that they're, 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 they are there to help uh, with systemic uh, problems, if you will, with the banking sector. Now, other things that have happened, there's another company that's been under pressure, First Republic Bank. I think this, the view is, hey, they've got unrealized losses too, and they kind of have business models similar. Uh, maybe a, a depositor is wanting their money. 11 banks st- uh, basically stepped up and deposited $30 billion in First Republic. And, and then um, essentially they're exploring more strategic alternatives. Uh, uh, we also know that uh, J.P. Morgan has a role there where they're you know, trying to essentially help them uh, sol- solve the problem. In any event, the federal government more generally is encouraging larger and stable banks to acquire smaller banks that may be at risk. And then finally, in the U.S. here, the federal home loan bank system issued a $304 billion debt uh, um, uh out there, debt out there, so a new issue, essentially pulling those funds in to have liquidity and support of regional and community banks. Outside the U.S., essentially the trouble focused with Credit Suisse. Now, Credit Suisse is known to be a fairly assertive and aggressive uh, uh, strategy. They, they're run with an aggressive strategy. So they came under some pressure. And the first step was that the Swiss National Bank created a, a credit facility of $50 billion Swiss francs, um, but that just wasn't enough. The pressure continued. So over this last weekend, basically the Swiss government orchestrated the sale of Credit Suisse to UBS. So UBS is acquiring Credit Suisse for a little over $3 billion. And so again, um, government's sort of intervening to try to uh, keep things calm. So let's talk a little bit about the uh, sort of the market reaction. So I, I, I've studied a lot of data. My team and I have studied a lot of data, and I'll just mention a few. You take, as an example, the 10-year yield. The 10-year yield has hovered at and above 4% over the last year, and it ended uh, February at 3.92%. And um, you know, the bottom line is when, when this happened, so and it was really, <clears throat> excuse me, on um in, in the wake of these uh, bank troubles, that the tenure traded down to about three and a half. So imagine being up towards four, down to about three and a half. So a decline of a little less than a half a percent. That's really reflective of a flight to quality. Another fixed income metric are spreads. These are amounts that get paid to uh, the buyers of uh, corporate bonds. They're investment grade, they're below investment grade, or otherwise known as high yield. And that extra amount getting paid goes up and down with credit conditions and sort of worries. And when things are good, the spreads are low. When things are a little bit less good, they go higher. They widen out is the industry term. And the bottom line is that they were reasonably low uh, at the end of February. They widened out a decent amount towards the higher end of their range over the last year, both for investment grade and high yield uh, as a result of this action. A couple of volatility measures, the VIX measure, which had settled down in the first part of 2023. We talked about that last in the last episode, uh, the idea of volatility calming. It's basically gone back up. 
And then the move index is sort of the comparable index for fixed income or interest rate volatility. And that that was kind of middle of the road before this, and it really uh, ballooned out. The net result of all this is that we're seeing tighter financial conditions triggered by, and the prospect of that triggered by uh, these troubles with the banks and, and relative the uh, quick reactions and more expected more reactions from the federal government in terms of tighter uh, credit uh, con- uh, standards, uh, lending standards and things like that. As it relates to the uh, market reaction more broadly, we saw the actually the core equity market, let's say it's defined by the S&P 500, actually hold up close to, you know, round numbers close to zero since uh, this all started at the end of the day, March 8th. Uh, but areas like um, financials and the KBW regional banking index are off a bit uh, since that date. And so, uh, again, markets are reacting some. Uh, on the positive side, growth stocks and big tech stocks actually have recovered a bit, we think uh, driven to a good degree by those falling interest rates. Um, so that, you know, obviously is important. One final point is with that decline in rates, the bond market has gone up a little bit, a couple percent uh, since March 8th. Now, I want to focus back. So think of it as, okay, that we've had these troubles. Markets reacted a little bit. There's the anticipation that these troubles are creating tighter financial conditions. So it begs the question, what's up with the Fed? So let's get into first inflation. So inflation has rolled over and continue to roll over, as we've talked about. But when we look at the monthly numbers, basically we're still seeing some firm numbers in the area of food and services, including um, uh, rents. And so we're wanting to see those numbers, and the Fed's really wanting to see those numbers come down a little bit further. So when we look at, for example, the rolling monthly CPI headline numbers, they're just a little bit above, not a lot, but a little bit above where the Fed wants them to be. On the PBI side, producer prices, they've actually calmed down and are hovering right around where the Fed's 2% target uh, for the last uh, four or five months. So that's that's good, good news. In any event, the Fed is focused on two things in its dual mandate, price stability, so we've just been talking about inflation, but also maximum employment. And sort of in, in that idea of maximum employment, they've got to keep an eye on how the job market is, keep an eye on the, the risk of recession, a deep recession, keep an eye on how um, tight financial conditions get. And so because of this uh, set of challenges in the banking system, Basically, the Fed's had to kind of take its eye off inflation just a little bit and move back uh, to a focus on maximum employment. And coincidentally, just today, the Fed finished its March uh, meeting. So we did get the results of the of the meeting. Let me just walk through them. The first is to say the Fed hiked rates another quarter point. That's what was reflected in futures and was expected. And in their statement, as they were reporting that, they noted that the labor market for the moment remains robust and inflation remains elevated. Uh, But I'm just going to quote from the statement, quote, recent developments are likely to result in tighter credit conditions for households and businesses and to weigh on economic activity, hiring and inflation, end quote. So basically they're saying, hey, these troubles with the banks are going to create tighter financial conditions and what that means is that they may have to hike rates further in their view, but they may not. So they actually use the word may um, in their statement to reflect that. And so in any event, um, they're going to, you know, as they always do, they're going to be data dependent. They're going to closely monitor the incoming information and assess policy as a result of that. I will say we also got their summary of economic projections 
and um, essentially uh, they were roughly unchanged from what we saw in December. Um, and in those, both of those, they basically are calling by the end of the year for one more quarter point move. So we'll see, we'll see where that goes. In any event, there was a press conference, as there always is. Uh, Chairman Powell uh, issued a statement, then took questions. I think the key takeaways there were that this idea of sort of discussing that these events have created tighter financial conditions, the idea of instead of focusing on ongoing hikes uh, for policy, maybe to focus on the words may and some uh, in terms of uh, in in parsing the language, if you will. Um, And so the bottom line is I think the Fed's going to watch things and see how much these troubles uh, slow things down. And there's a really pretty good chance that they may hike one more time, they may not, but that they probably won't go much higher than that. Now, one of the reasons is that we have to be mindful of recession. The data keeps showing, hey, the lagging indicators that, hey, things have been good. The coincidence indicators are, hey, things have slowed down. The leading indicators, where are we headed? Yeah, the leading indicators are pointing to a good chance of a recession. And that would lead, if we get to that, and inflation truly cools, the Fed actually could get to a point of needing to ease rates. And in fact, when we look at futures, you know, we started the year where the the futures market reflected the idea of two more rate hikes from the Fed. And then up until this, these banking troubles, as the Fed said, no, we're not going to stop and inflation remained firm, futures indicated a significantly higher, so I think two to three more hikes above that. Uh, but with these troubles, those futures have really kind of collapsed. And the futures are indicating no more hikes at this point and the, the prospect of easing as we get later in the year. Now, what does this all mean for markets? Well, first, as it relates to stocks, you know, we did sort of uh, roll up all those uh, bottom-up consensus views, or I'm sorry, bottom-up analyst views on uh, S&P earnings, and they're, they're still reflected by that approach, a positive growth rate in 2023. But when we look at, you know, some of the top-down work that gets done, in our industry, and that obviously is a set of data that can react more quickly to what's going on, we're seeing further decline. We're seeing people anticipating the possibility of an earnings decline uh, in 2023 on the S&P 500 earnings, and I think the uh, the consensus is right around negative 2.5% or so, or the average of that. So again, just think of it as uh, all of this causing earnings to decline further, which could have implications on the markets. As it relates to interest rates, we know interest rates have gone up a little bit with that move in that 10-year yield, which is sort of foundational to other areas. Uh, rates have come down just a little bit, but they still remain quite elevated compared to where they've been over the last 15 years. So again, more to come on that. In any event, uh, just a few final comments. You know, We've talked about signposts and the need to find uh, a, a stabilizing consumer confidence market and Fed expectations better aligning, the labor market calming and cooling and getting down, uh, wage growth getting down to a level more comfortable for the Fed and more equilibrium in the labor market. The bottom line is all of this uh, is going to kind of point in that direction, but an anchor to one of our signposts is the idea that company earnings hold up and forward guidance start to improve, and we're probably not there yet given some of these challenges. Uh, I, I will mention, as I always do, that there are lots and lots of dates in our immediate future that have lots of important information. So we'll get the minutes for this meeting uh, in the second week of April. We'll get reports on inflation and consumer sentiment, 
another Fed decision in early May and minutes for that meeting later in the month um, and, you know, a variety of other data points. All of these things are things we're sort of parsing and taking in. I'd encourage you, you know, certainly appreciate you listening to this podcast series, but check out stiefelinsights.com. There's lots of good work there. We did have, by the way, a webinar for clients on the banking crisis. I was joined by uh, the director of research from KBW, the Stiefel company that specializes in financial services and banks, as well as the two co-directors of research from Stiefel uh, Research more broadly. And a a great session. I encourage you to go to stiefelinsights.com and check it out. Anyway, thanks so much uh, for listening to this episode. Lots going on. Appreciate you taking the time, and we'll catch you next month. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Stiefel's Investment Strategy Brief. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to automatically receive each month's podcast in your feed.